This audio is from the Axis Church and is part of the sermon series, First John, Seeing Through the Gray, A Guide to Living in the World. For more information about the Axis Church or its mission in Nashville, Tennessee, go to theaxischurch.org. All right, it's good to see you guys. We're going to be reading and studying from the book of 2 John this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you should be able to find one in the pew in front of you. Take that. If you want a Bible and you don't have one, take that. We'd love for you to have that as a gift from us. It's going to be 2 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. 2 John 2, 1 John. Sorry about that. I'm getting ahead. I'm excited about it. 1 John 2. 18 through 27. Uh, I want to let you guys know about a few things going on today and coming up. We're going to be having lunch together directly following the gathering at the farmer's market. There, there are directions printed out in the lobby. If you are interested in going and don't know where it is, grab that and you can come. We'd love to see you there. Tomorrow night is our monthly prayer gathering, our 714 prayer gathering at 714 p.m. We'd love to see you at that. And all ministry partners, we're going to be having a meeting October 20th directly following our gathering. So make note of that. And hopefully you guys got one of these when you came in. Has a lot more information on the back. So get in the habit of reading that and we'll have to do less announcements each week. And I know a lot of people would love that. So uh, I want to call up Nate Wood. He's going to be bringing the word for us this morning. I want to pray for him. Introduce Nate. Nate and Christina, his wife, lead a Sunday night comm group. And uh, Nate's also part of our church planning residency. And he leads the 714 prayer ministry and all of our ministry partnership processes. So he does a lot. We're thankful for you and excited about what the Lord has for us through you this morning. So let's pray for Nate. First, I want to to read... uh, read the text for this morning. You guys can stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. First John, chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Pray that we be encouraged by the reading of God's Word. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming... So now many antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. 
but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for Nate and Christina and all that they mean to me and the people in the Axis Church. Thank you for the calling you have on this man's life and the plans you have made for him, for your glory in this city and beyond. Pray that you would anoint him with your spirit, uh, that we would not leave this room this morning thinking about what an eloquent, wonderful preacher he was, but that we would leave this morning thinking about what a wonderful, amazing God you are and how unthinkable your love for us is through Jesus. Let us see you and not Nate. Um, take him out of the equation and use him this morning for your glory and our joy. Be with him, be with us. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to, to feel and believe the truth you have for us in this text this morning. In Christ's name, amen. You got Thank you, Jacob. October is... Uh... Pastor Appreciation Month, if you didn't know that, so you should let your pastors know that you appreciate them. Not because you're required to, but because you actually do, and you actually mean what you're going to encourage them with. So I, I would encourage you to do that, because they, being a pastor, I know for them, just being able to be in their lives, I know it's not easy, so they need your encouragement, and they need your, your prayers, and uh, they need to know you're grateful for them, so... I'm excited that you're here this morning. Um, this, today is our third week in the book of 1 John. We're going to be going through this book for a total of 10 weeks. The Apostle John wrote several New Testament books. Um, he wrote the Gospel of John, which we went through for 60-something weeks uh, last year and into this year. And that was basically a, a theological narrative and biography of Jesus and his earthly ministry and his life and death and resurrection for us. He also wrote the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Um, these are letters to churches uh, in the region of Ephesus, where John lived um, during this time. And he also wrote the book of Revelation, which gives us a, an encouraging picture of what the end is going to look like and encourages us to, to have hope in that. And John, in, in his writing, in all of these books, he's writing to us because he wants us to know who Jesus is, what he has done, and that Jesus was who he said he was. John was an eyewitness of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And we also know from the New Testament that he was also one of Jesus' closest and best friends. And so when John writes the book of, of 1 John, he's not telling about Jesus who lived many, many years ago, but he's, he's writing as an eyewitness, as a friend of Jesus. And so with the letter of 1 John, he's writing to a group of churches that were, that were scattered throughout this region where he lived. So John knew the people he's writing to. And so he writes with a lot of compassion and tenderness for these people. And John believes that his, his friends, these churches, were in danger of being pulled away and led astray from the faith. They were very vulnerable and confused and uncertain 
and discouraged because of the presence of false teaching. And this passage this morning is both a warning and an assurance to John's readers. John's John's writing to assure them and to reassure them. And the existence and presence of what John calls antichrists, it's grounds for John to write this letter to them and to warn them of their deceptive teaching. And so we see that John kind of gives this title of Antichrist to, to the false teachers. And he wants his readers to know that they can know that they are trusting in the true Son of God, that they are the ones anointed by the Holy One, that they're the ones who, who know the truth, who are abiding in the truth. 1 John 5 says that he wants them to know that they have eternal life in Christ. And so because the scriptures are alive and powerful, there is by an extension a a warning, a word of caution to us this morning, as well as an encouragement, an exhortation to to respond favorably to the things of God that that we read here. So what we're going to do, we're going to try to capture the flow of thought the big idea of what's going on in this passage. And I think that as we work through these verses, that each verse is going to shed light on the other verses in the passage, and we're going to walk away with a deeper understanding of this passage and how it applied to John's readers and also how it applies to us today. And so if we, if we take a step back just for a moment, we, uh, we kind of see three movements in this passage. It's the big idea of what's going on. And so first we see that there are professing Christians who've left the community of faith. They were part of it, and they left these churches. Secondly, after leaving the community of faith, and after leaving John's uh, churches in this region, they begin to proclaim a different Jesus, a Jesus that John had not taught them about. And they're trying now to deceive John's readers. But thirdly, John is writing to reassure them that they know the true Son of God, that they are trusting in and abiding in Him. And so let's let's jump into the passage. We're going to start at verse 18, and we'll kind of see how this plays out in this passage. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, it says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. John tenderly addresses them as children. Children reminds them that they are from the Father. It's it's also a term of endearment, and so you can see that John deeply cares for the people who are reading this letter. He's concerned for them and about them and their situation. And it's also similar to Paul in the New Testament addressing us as brothers. He's reminding them of their identity, of who they are as the children of God. To be part of the community of faith and a part of the church is is to, uh, to basically be a child of God. That's what John's saying here. And he says, children, it's the last hour. And the reason we know it's the last hour is because... Many antichrists have come. In other words, the existence of antichrist, the false teaching, 
indicates that the last hour has arrived. The last days have arrived. And I know when a lot of you read and see the word antichrist, you think we're going to talk about the latest stuff going on in Israel. Like that's not what John's saying here. He's very specific as to who these antichrists are and what they're teaching. And he says the reason we know it's the last day is because of the presence of antichrist. The Bible speaks of the end of days or the end of the ages or the latter times, whereas John says here, the last hour. In all of this language, it refers to the time beginning with the the coming of Jesus and his death and his resurrection, and until the time it will end when Jesus comes again. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished. And so the victory is won for Christians. It is won. It's finished. But... We also know that the last hour is still here. We're living in it right now. And so there's coming a day when that last hour is going to be finished completely, and Jesus will return, and that will be the end of the ages. That's, that's it. Jesus is here. It's over. And so we read of Jesus saying in Matthew 24, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. This is very similar to what we see in the book of 1 John, if you've read 1 John at all. He talks about these these false teachers going away and hating the brothers and teaching false doctrine, trying to deceive them. But then Jesus says, in Matthew 24, 13, but the one who endures till the end will be saved. The one who's faithful to Jesus, who loves the brothers, who loves Jesus and is faithful to him will be saved. And so we see that the last hour, the end of the ages is here, John says, and we know this because of the presence of false teachers who are trying to deceive the church. And so we read in verse 26 of 1 John 2 here, I write these things to you, about those who are trying to deceive you. Verse 19 further describes the the actions and the behavior of these false teachers who are trying to deceive John's readers. It says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. Who's the us in this passage? John's referring to the children of God that he's just addressed. They went out from the children of God, he says, because they were not of us. These antichrists, these false teachers, they're not coming from the outside and trying to deceive the church. These people had gone out from the church. These are people John and his readers actually knew. And they had left the church, they had left the community of faith, and now they're trying to deceive John's readers. And so 
we find that sometimes the most penetrating and wounding attacks often come from within the church. And when they left the churches, they revealed something. John says that they revealed that they were not actually part of the family and children of God, which they were claiming. John says if they had been of the family of God, they would have continued with him. They would have remained with him. They would have endured until the end, which is what Jesus said. And there's an important truth for, here, for John's readers and for us this morning. True followers of Jesus persevere. The children of God don't leave the family of God. See, it became plain, it became evidence for all to see that those who left the church were actually not of the church. They were not actually of the children of God. Because they ceased to persevere with the Christian community and in the faith. We must have a, a category for people who are in the church who look like Christians, who talk like Christians, who act like Christians, who talk about Jesus, but they prove to be fake and counterfeit, and they prove to not be Christians at all. And I know in a room this, this size that there are some of us who are straying from the faith. And we confronted with this fact, we don't need to offer excuses, we don't need to create an alibi as to why this is happening and the life situation and all of these things. Like We need to, to embrace Jesus and we need to embrace the community and ask them honestly, do you see this in me? We need Christian community. And where do we see people who look like disciples and then they, they leave the church? Judas was one of the disciples of Jesus, right? We read about him in every gospel. Judas walked with, he talked with, he ate with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Like he was face to face with the, the savior of the world. John says in his gospel that, that Judas was one who kept the disciples' money. In other words, he had responsibilities in Jesus' ministry. He wasn't just at the side. He was, he was doing ministry. He was with the, the disciples. We're even told that he cast out demons. And yet Judas went out from among the disciples only to make it obvious and plain to the other disciples that he was not truly of the children of God. He did not remain. He did not persevere. And he actually returns to Jesus only to betray him. This is a warning. This is a caution to John's readers and to us this morning. Those who fall away from the faith prove themselves to not have been of the faith. You remaining in and abiding in and persevering in the truth and in Christ, that's not a secondary issue. John, John says it is a black and white, heaven and hell issue for you to persevere and to continue in the faith. So I, I would just ask you, what is your posture this morning regarding this? Do you feel yourself drifting from Christ? 
Are you making excuses in your heart? Or are you desperate for Christ? And are you desperate to, to press into the gospel because you know how weak your flesh is? We sing regularly, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Are you, are you seeking the help of the Christian community and of the family of God to help you persevere and help you continue in the faith? And to point out these tendencies that we all have in our hearts to stray, to be deceived by sin. I mean, I, I know too many people personally, on a personal basis, who have made professions of faith, who've continued in the faith for a while, maybe even years. And when tribulation comes, when hard times come, they give it up and they seek their own wisdom and righteousness. But when, when we are saved by Jesus, we are so changed and God is so big and Jesus is so huge that he keeps us believing. He keeps us continuing in the faith. He keeps us trusting him. Christians, plan to persevere for the long haul. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If, if you are a Christian here this morning and you woke up trusting Jesus, that's of grace that, that ever happens. And I, I know that we all know people who that one morning, for whatever reason, and it's normally very slow and they don't see it, but they, they leave and they give up what they, were, they said they were trusting in and hoping in. And they begin to hope in other things. Don't take for granted the grace of God in your life and in your heart right now. One of the lies of professing Christianity in the South is that we can be saved by Jesus and it never actually make a difference. That we're not progressing towards holiness. And we think that we, can, that we can believe Jesus and profess Jesus and yet not walk with the Christian community alongside other Christians, progressing, whether it's tiny, tiny steps, but there is progression. There is, there is movement toward Jesus. Jesus says the one who endures until the end will be saved. Friends, it is a dangerous place to not be connected to the family of God. You are a sheep among wolves, and Satan is a prowling lion seeking whom he may devour. And we see that after leaving the community of faith, these false teachers, they begin proclaiming a different Jesus, and they begin trying to deceive the true church. They remove themselves from the, the community, and the result is that they fail to abide in the truth. They begin to proclaim a new faith, a new Jesus. And so we read in verse 22, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So not only have these people left the church, but they are now actively seeking to persuade John's readers of a different Jesus than what they've learned. 
a fake Jesus, a weak Jesus who can't save anyone. Essentially, they, they're, they're trying to create a Jesus whom they can understand. And John clearly tells us in, this, in uh, verse 22, who is the delier but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He clearly tells us who the Antichrist is. He says in 1 John 4, 3, anyone that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. In 2 John Verse 7, we read, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, and those who, do not, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. And I realize this is, there's some hard phrases and sayings and, and verses in this passage. And so when John says, the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. It's more than simply denying that Jesus is the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. Fundamentally, they're denying that the Messiah who has promised to come and to deliver the people of God, they're denying that he has come in the flesh as the person Jesus, who is both God and man. They deny that Jesus is God and man. Maybe Jesus was invested for a brief time with some divine powers, or maybe he had just appeared to be a, a human, but he really wasn't. The point is they denied that the, the man Jesus and the eternal Son of God are one and the same person. And the thing is they, they thought this was a wonderful spiritual insight. They were in effect excusing Jesus and adjusting him to their own understanding. But notice what John says in verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Everything depends on what a person believes about Jesus Christ. Everything depends on what a person believes about Jesus Christ. If an individual does not believe that Jesus of Nazareth was and is the Christ, the Messiah of hope, God's Son sent in the flesh, then he is literally, John says, against Christ. If you deny that Jesus has come as the Son of God and Messiah, you also deny the Father, John says. You can't have the Father without the Son. You don't even have access to the Father without the Son. Do you, do you want to get to the Father? You want to get to God? Listen to what Jesus says in John 14. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so this is why John says, who is the, the, the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. And I realized, like, in our culture, this is so foreign and so weird because this is totally against everything we hear every day. We don't have a Christian culture, we, like, we don't have a Christian nation. Like, that's not what we're hearing. 
And so this seems really odd and strange for some of us. But John is saying that these false teachers are denying fundamental, basic, central truths about who Jesus is. If Jesus has not come as both God and man, then he cannot live perfectly and die for our sin. It takes a true man to die for sin, and it takes God to atone for our sin. Our, our only hope is that Jesus was both God and man, that he is who the scriptures say he is. And this is also why we see in the book of 1 John that these teachers were, were denying that sin is important, that your lifestyle matters. Because to deny who Jesus is biblically is also to deny our sinfulness and the necessity of Christ dying for our sin. And so to deny Jesus is ultimately to trust in your own righteousness. This, this is not... This is not something new. This isn't a 21st century insight into the scriptures or anything. This is what the church has always believed. This is what the New Testament teaches. This is what the early church taught. This is what people have given their lives for. If you deny the teaching of who Jesus is and what he has done, you're, you're not a Christian. That's, that's the teaching of the New Testament from beginning to end. You don't get to God except through Jesus. And so what you believe about Jesus right now matters. It matters. The, the whole time when I, when I began reading this text, like the first thing I, I, I was telling Jeremy and Jacob and I mean multiple people, like this is a weighty text. It's it's not something to just read and kind of flippantly talk about. John is essentially giving us a doctrinal test. He's, he's giving these, the readers a doctrinal theological test, and he's telling his readers that these false teachers are not passing the test. They're not part of the family of God. You don't deny what they're denying and be a Christian. In fact, John says those who deny these things about Jesus are antichrist, literally against Christ. And so we can disagree about a lot of theological doctrinal issues. And if you're in any of the, the meetings with, with some of the men here, we, we regularly talk about all these theological issues and disagree and make fun of people and just jokingly. I mean, because we can, we can disagree on a lot of things, but there are certain truths that are simply non-negotiable. There are certain beliefs you have to hold if you're going to be Christian in a biblical sense. And to deny them is not Christian. And of course, this doesn't mean that everyone who leaves a church is Antichrist. Like, well, so-and-so, like, they started going over there. They must be the Antichrist. Like, that's not the point. But when people separate themselves into a holy huddle and into an, this elite group who think they have it all together and they, and they are more spiritual and they have a deeper insight into the scriptures than other gospel people, beware. Like we're, we're not trying to teach something new. We stand on the shoulders of giants who have, who have taught these things, who have learned them, who have helped us in understanding anything that we know. 
But it's also an encouragement to us right now because if you're struggling with a, a theological issue, a deep doctrinal matter, John would tell us, do not separate yourself from Christian community. Don't try to go work it out on your own because that that's a dangerous place to be. Work it out in Christian community. Why? Because in the midst of doctrinal confusion about who Jesus is, and it would be safe to say there's a little of that in our culture. John reassures his readers that they can know the truth because they have the Holy Spirit and they have the Word of God. So let's, let's be encouraged as we read what John tells them. Verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him." These, these false believers, these, these teachers are probably claiming a kind of a supernatural, not super spiritual status and knowledge that John's readers don't have. They place themselves in a position of a, these spiritual authoritative teachers, and they're trying to deceive the true church. And so how are we and how are they to recognize the truth and to know the truth? John gives us a clue here. He, he speaks of the anointing that you have received. It's the only place in the New Testament where that word anointing occurs. And the verb, if we read through the New Testament, it, it's consistently used to refer to the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so we take it to mean when he says you've been anointed by the Holy One or the anointing that you receive that teaches you, we take it to mean that he's referring to the Holy Spirit. And you see, in the Old Testament, basically only prophets, priests, and kings and a few other special people were, were anointed by the Spirit. And it was generally for some specific task or ministry. The Holy Spirit would said that he would come upon certain individuals for these, these ministries or these tasks that they were to perform. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant that Jesus has ushered in, we find that the Holy Spirit lives in. He takes up residence in all of God's people. In the Old Testament, religion was tribal, you could say. In other words, the prophets, priests, and kings, they, they led the, the people. And if they went astray, then the people went astray as well. But if you were to read Jeremiah 37 and Ezekiel 36 and other Old Testament passages, they kind of help us understand what John is meaning here. When he says you don't need a teacher or you have all knowledge, under the new relationship that God, with God that Jesus ushers in and brings for us, all of us know the Lord. All of God's people know the Lord. We, don't, we have knowledge of him. We don't wait for the prophet or the priest or the king to teach us. Why? Because we've all been anointed. We all have the Holy Spirit. There are no supernatural, or I keep saying supernatural, but rather super spiritual Christians. We all have the Spirit. And these false teachers, they're claiming some special knowledge, some special anointing. And they, so they believe that when they, when they say Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, 
as Messiah, they, they think this is you know, some special knowledge that John's readers need to know. And so they're trying to, to, to sway them to their, to their teaching. But John says, no. You have the Spirit. You have the knowledge of Jesus that you need. Don't be led, led astray by the false teaching. You don't need these progressive prophets to come and add new information about who Jesus is. Jesus himself promised us in John 14 through 16 that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would guide us, his followers, into all truth. And John says it's the Spirit who abides in us, who teaches us the knowledge that we have. John's readers have the Holy Spirit. Christian, we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And so does this mean we can just kind of go and live alone and open up the Bible and the Spirit begins to talk to us and teach us and we don't have need for pastors and teachers in the church and what we're doing up here every Sunday is kind of a waste of time? I mean, obviously John is reading, or writing to his readers and he's teaching them. And so we take into consideration the context here. And this is why John says in verses 24 and 25, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. John isn't proclaiming some new truths about Jesus. He's reminding them of what they already know. And so that's why he refers, that which you have heard from the beginning. And when we looked at chapter 1, we said that that was the gospel message of who Jesus is and what he has done, delivered to us by the apostles and by the disciples, and ultimately from Jesus himself. And so John says, abide in the message you've heard from the beginning. And if that abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And the promise is that you're going to have eternal life because of that. Do not depart from that message. These are the truths that John's readers have no need for some spiritual teacher to teach them about. They already know it. They have it. This is the message the message of the gospel that we are to adhere to, to guard, to protect, to live in, to cherish, to proclaim. And so we're not just all about the Spirit apart from the Word of God. Because the Word of God is objective. It's outside of us. It keeps us in check. The Spirit doesn't teach something contrary to His Word. But we're also not just about the Bible. I think that here that maybe our tendency more so is to be all theological and never engage the Spirit. But John says we need both. We need both because without the Spirit, there's no power in the Word. It's the Spirit who's our ultimate teacher. The Spirit and the Word is our hope for stability and certainty in a world that is filled with false teaching and antichrists. This morning... Do you you want to know the truth? Do you want to know the true Jesus? Be grounded. Dig into the Word of God and live your life in the Spirit of God. And if we want to know why so many are deceived, it's because there's no theological depth and they have no experience with the Spirit of God working in their lives, leading them into all truth. And notice that it's the Spirit who testifies 
to the Word. He teaches us the Word. He teaches us the message that we've heard from the beginning. He enables us to know the truth, and it's not some truth in addition to the gospel, but it's the gospel itself of who Jesus is and how he's changed us and what he's done for us. And so if the Spirit doesn't teach anything contrary to the message that we've heard from the beginning, I think we need to ask them, what is the message that we've heard from the beginning? What's John referring to? And we don't have to leave 1 John in order to understand the message of the gospel tonight or today. Essentially, the message that you've heard from the beginning is this. The eternal Son of God has been revealed to us by coming to earth in the flesh. We have seen him, John says. We've heard him. We've touched him. He dwelt among us. He was truly human, and yet he came in the flesh from God, but John also says that he came as the true God. He was eternal life. And because he was God, he was perfectly righteous. John says he was pure. No, no darkness dwelt in the Son of God because he was God in the flesh. He always lived perfectly. He always was perfect and pure and in him there is no sin. He came to destroy the works of Satan and to conquer darkness. He is the standard of how we should walk, how we should live. He always loved God. He always loved neighbor perfectly. In fact, he, he redefines what love is. John says, by this we know love. We know love that Jesus laid down his life for us in our place. The love of God was demonstrated it was revealed to us. It was proved to us when the Father sent the Son, Jesus, in the flesh to be the wrath bearer for our sins. Because we have failed to love God. We failed to love neighbor. The Father loves us by sending his Son for us, pursuing us, and sending Jesus to be the Savior of the world, John says. And Jesus is the way to the Father. Whoever has Jesus has eternal life, John says. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. You don't have eternal life. And the amazing fact is that John has written all of this so that we can be confident, so that we can have assurance that we have eternal life. The death of Jesus can cleanse you from all sin, from all unrighteousness, and we now have an advocate who stands in the place of sinners, who bears the penalty of our sin and gives us his purity, his righteousness. And that can be yours this morning if you will trust him, if you will hope in him. And anyone who's experienced this life-changing love is called to love as we have been loved. We have been born of God. We have passed from death to life. We have the empowering spirit in our lives. We can be forgiven because Jesus is our advocate. And as a result of all of this, of his work in our lives, we will walk in the light. Repentance and confession of sin will be regular and normal. We will love the brothers and sisters in Christ. Sin will no longer be the dominating feature of our lives. We will not love the world or the things in the world. 
We will not be deceived by false teaching. We will persevere in faith and in the community as God keeps us in his love. In summary, we'll we'll walk as Jesus walked in righteousness and love and in purity. We will abide in these truths which are given to us by Jesus through his disciples and who are taught to us by the Spirit of God. This is the gospel. This is the message that we have heard from the beginning that, that keeps us in Jesus. This is what we are to believe. This is what we are to abide in. This is what we are to never stray from. And John says if we believe this, if we put our hope in this, and ultimately in Jesus himself, not just truths about Jesus, but in Christ himself, the promise, according to this passage, is that we have eternal life. You can be sure that you know Christ this morning. You can have the peace of God Because John has written these things to us so that we can know that we have eternal life. You don't have to fear falling away. You don't have to fear being led astray because we have the written word of God. We have the Holy Spirit who teaches us all truth. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. And he's given us his promise. And when we drift, when we drift to other hopes, we can be sure that we can return to these truths. We can be sure that we can preach these these things to ourselves daily. And we need to. We need to saturate ourselves in the Word and in the Spirit. And it's these things that are going to keep us in the message that we've heard from the beginning. Friends, hold fast to Jesus. Believe Him this morning. He is our only hope. He's our only hope of eternal life. And you can be sure that you have eternal life this morning based on the word of God written to us in John's letter. And I pray that we do that. I pray that that Christians and non-Christians right now would begin to more and more believe Jesus and to trust in him and to seek his truth and to have that abiding in us. pray that we do that. On the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas, he actually had a meal with his disciples. And after Judas had gone out from the disciples, he he takes bread and he, he takes wine and he has this meal. He spreads it out with his disciples and he gave us this meal to remind us of the truths that we have heard from the beginning. And we call this communion here. We call this the Lord's Supper. And he took some bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. And he also had a cup and he he took it and he told them to drink. This is the new covenant in my blood. And as often as you you take this bread and you, you drink this cup, You're proclaiming my death for you until I return again. So every week we come together as the family of God and as the children of God to remember the truths that we've been told from the beginning because we so easily drift and we so easily forget the gospel. And so the band 
and the servers can come forward as we, as we transition into this time of, of communion. Our tradition here at the Axis is to, uh, we'll have servers up front. We'll have broken pieces of bread, which, which represent the body of Christ broken for us. And we'll have wine or juice, whatever your age or conscience permits. And we'll come and we'll, we'll dip a, a piece of bread in the juice or the wine. And we come remembering Christ's body broken for us and given for us and his blood poured out from, for us that cleanses us from all sin and all, righteous, all unrighteousness. And we remember together as a family that the Father has sent his Son for us to bear our sins, to completely deal with them, to give us his righteousness. And so we, we can rejoice in that this morning. We can come and celebrate together the fact that we are forgiven, that we are adopted sons and daughters of God. And if you're a Christian, I invite you to do that. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ, this is a family meal. This is a meal where, where the, the family of God comes together. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, I pray that you would take Jesus this morning, that you would trust him. It's a joy to be able to do this together as a family, to be reminded of the truths that we love, that we abide in, and that we hope in. So let's pray. Prepare your hearts. Let's take communion together. Father, we thank you that you have given us your spirit who teaches us, who opens our eyes to see who Jesus really is, who teaches us that, that he is our hope, that he is our treasure, that he is our, our eternal life. And Father, I pray that you would send your spirit even now to do that, and I pray that you would open the eyes of some here right now for the first time so that they would see Jesus, that they would trust him, and that they would place their ultimate hope in him for eternal life. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have, have opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel. I pray that we would be encouraged during this time this morning. Would you remind us of our unity in the gospel? Would you remind us that, that we will one day partake this meal together with you face to face? That's our hope. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.